0: Amen. Say amen again, church. Isn't it wonderful to be here today? I hope you happy as I am. I'm so glad I woke up this morning. So glad He touched me. I don't take those days for granted anymore. I used to. When I was young, I thought it was God. God supposed to wake me up. But as I grow older, I learned that it's a blessing when He does, and I know that. Because since we last met, he's called many, many people from labor to reward. And we weren't one of them. That's something to say hallelujah about that. Because one day is going to be our day. It's coming. It's coming just as sure as we're sitting here this morning. And I think probably we've all in some way accepted that what becomes even clearer as we approach that time is how serious we ought to be about soul salvation. Because you'll notice, well, some will notice as you get older, things that you have valued before start losing their value. You start looking at all this stuff you've accumulated. And when you're sick and in and out of the hospital and uh, having aches and pains, none of that stuff that you've accumulated can change that. Have you noticed that? You can It don't mean no matter what kind of car you're riding in if you're hurting. Car doesn't make hurt go away. Nice place doesn't make hurting pains go away. No matter what our station in life is, we're going to we're moving every day closer to that time when the Lord will say, it's your time, it's your time. And God help us to be able to say, as Paul said, I, I'm, I fought a good fight. Even if you don't know just what your fate will be, and you ought to know if you fought a good fight, but some of us are very reluctant about clinching for that crown before it's in our hands. But it's all right to be able to say, Lord, thank you that I've had a good life and i fought a good fight. I was weak sometimes. I made mistakes sometimes. But through it all, I held on and I'm going to hold on until Jesus calls me from this life. So it's with that thought in mind that we come today to hopefully cut us to our hearts. Every time we hear the word of God, we ought to be cut to our hearts. There is no exception to that rule. And if we are not cut to our hearts, then it suggests that maybe we don't really believe what we're studying. Because when you really believe something that you've heard, you take action on it. You you do something about it, if it's that important to you. You don't put it on the back burner. You don't say, I'll get to it Monday. If you hear something of the utmost importance today, it ought to command your attention and my attention today. And the the, the scary part of that is that we can grow and we can get to the point, or we can stop growing and get to the point where even the preaching of the word of God doesn't do anything for us anymore. Let me ask you, is that you? When the word of God is preached, has it lost its power you know the hebrews writer says in hebrews 4:12 that the word of god is quick and powerful is it still quick and powerful for you is it still cutting going and coming in your life is the word of god still capable of getting into the very fiber of us, it can discern. The Bible says the very intentions of our hearts. If the Bible no longer does that for you, pray tell what does, and by what are you living? May God help us this morning that we, we'll, we who have ears, will hear what the spirit has to say to the church. Of course, you know that we've been studying in the book of Acts, and let me say before I go further, we're always glad to have those of you who are visiting with us and those who haven't been in a while. Uh, Our people are, are sickly, we have quite a few among us who are sickly, who are bedridden, who are traveling, who are whatever the case may be, but we're always glad to meet here together and to glean from the precious word of God. And I told the church on Sunday night last week, I think it was, that I'm so glad, you know, when I come back on Sunday nights and maybe we've had 80 or 90 people here in the morning and then Sunday nights it drops down to about 20, sometimes 25, you know, and we miss those people. And I I just kind of said, you know, I'm so glad that the power in the word of God is not dependent upon how many folk are here. If we only have two here, the word of God still means the same thing. It meant If we had 200. So the word of God is not dependent upon us saying amen to it. It's not dependent upon how many folk are here. Thank God there's no quota on that. So every one of us who's here today, there's a message, there is a pearl today for you. And that's what you ought to have come to get. If you didn't know this, we've gotten over your clothes by now. We saw you when you first walked in. You look real nice. But now it's time to delve into the word of God. And I want you to know that as we do, God is no respecter of persons. We had a wonderful Bible class this morning. If you missed it, shame on you. I hope you were doing something that was just as important or more important than what we were doing here. If it wasn't, then you need to ask yourself some questions. We're looking at the book of Acts, and of course I use this morning as our scriptural text, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, because all that we do, all that we are challenged to do by God is with the express purpose of shining our light in the world And that begins in the church, so that God and not us will be glorified. Listen to that passage again. Jesus said, let your light so shine. That means that every one of us has a light. Now, yours may a little be a little dim. Yours may not be as bright as somebody else's. You may have a light or two where somebody else only has one, but what you need to understand is that God gave it to you. It's your light, but God gave it to you. And he says, let that light that you have shine so that men will see the Lord and he can get the glory. Now, I entered this lesson today with that in mind, and I've entitled this lesson, Shine Your Light, because of Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. That's what we're dealing with today. We'll be dealing with the book of Acts, and Brother Gibson uh, delivered a a powerful message to us and led a powerful class for us this morning. And many of the same things that he mentioned, I had uh, in my sermon, and I'm going to mention some of those things and just kind of keep going because the message, uh, there are some other messages in chapter 3 that we need to see. Now, all of this is to get us to a place where we can join our lights. See, because we're on a rescue mission. The mission that we're on is a seek and rescue mission Mission, And when you go to look for folk, one of the things that most folk take with them is a flashlight. God has given each one of us a light. If you want to call it a flashlight, that's what it is for you. But there is something about you that you didn't come up with by yourself. God gave it to you and he gave it to you for the express purpose that he might be glorified. I want to take you to Acts chapter 3. Powerful things have happened there in the wake of the great celebration on Pentecost Day when 3,000 were added to the body of Christ. There was a great mighty rushing wind that they had experienced. They had experienced the Lord's spirit coming down and settling on men. They had experienced those tongues of fire that set on the apostles, and then the apostles began to speak in languages they'd never learned. And as a result of that, 3,000 folk were added to the body of Christ that day. It must have been exciting to be a part of an assembly like that. Imagine that. 3,000 people together, unified, everything in common. Everybody's happy. They are sharing what they have with one another. It's a loving kind of assembly. And then uh, the apostles, the Bible says in Acts uh, chapter uh, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, that the Lord told the apostles to wait in Jerusalem until he gives them or imbues them with power from on high. Now, we're going to bring all of that together in just a moment, but you'll notice in Acts chapter 2 that power came, and it was evidenced by the fact that even after the day of Pentecost, the apostles were continuing to perform great acts, wonders, and signs to confirm what had happened that it was indeed from God and not from men. So here is Peter and John among the others who have been baptized with the Holy Spirit, are able to do some miraculous things. And we find Peter and John who were were cut buddies. Peter and John were always together. Peter and John was in the inner circle And you notice that when one is mentioned, generally the other is not far behind. When the women went and told the apostles that Jesus had risen from the dead, it was Peter and John who got the message first and raced each other to the tomb. Peter and John again. Here in chapter 3 of the book of Acts, we find Peter and John again together. So now it's a couple of days after the church has had its beginning. Peter and John were keeping the custom that they had grown up with. And that is, as a Jew, you were required to go to the temple and to pray three times a day. At the third hour, which was nine o'clock, the sixth hour, 12 o'clock, and the ninth hour, three o'clock. In this text, Peter and John, the Bible says, enter uh, the temple or show up at the temple at the ninth hour to pray. Evidently, that's why they were going there. Peter and John weren't out looking for somebody to heal. They were following the tradition of the Jewish custom, which is you pray three times a day. So they were going to the temple to pray, and as they were going, when they got there, they were interrupted. Their mission was interrupted by a lame man who had been laid at the gate called beautiful. Now, the Bible says in chapter 3 that this man got there because they, whoever they were, Brought him there daily. Now, I'm just, I want you to understand what that means. Somebody who cared about this man brought him back and forth to that temple gate every day. That means they dropped him off around nine and they came back to pick him up around three, after the prayer service was over, and then they took him back to wherever he resided during the evening hours, and then they'd get up the next day and take him down there again. Now, I don't know if he was the sole source of income for his family or what, but if you ask me, like Brother Gibson said this morning, that was a smart way to do things. If you want your your, your, your relative or your friend or somebody you love to get taken care of by the general public, then probably one of the best places for you to be is at the gate of the temple at the hour of prayer. Doesn't that make sense? That's when you're going to get a lot of folk coming in there because they're coming to pray. And it's just expected that when you come into the house of the Lord, that you will be in an attitude that is, is softer, probably, than any other time in your life. You know, it's just like uh, people who beg today. Many of them, where they will allow it, will stand outside the bank. Have you noticed that? Because, see, they're looking for those people who just cashed that big check. Got a little money in their pocket. At that point, you're more prone to throw somebody a little something-something. You feeling good? Your pocket fat? So here's this man at the temple taking advantage of these people who are coming to pray. And, Lord, what sense would it make to go inside and pray and not notice my brother here who is lame, he was in a good place, and probably did pretty good from from, from being there. But I want you to understand this. Number one, Peter and John were not looking for him to heal him. The Bible says when they got to the gate, this man was laying there asking for alms. And he had been doing it so long That he didn't even look at them as they came back. Probably said, Do you have some change to spare? Probably somewhat embarrassed that he's still having to ask. Some commentators suggest that this man was in his 40s. For 40 years or less, a little less, he was being laid at that gate and was depending on the public to take care of it. It must have been lucrative. He hadn't moved. And all those years, they had been bringing him. And all those years, they didn't change and take him anywhere else. But I want you to understand that as the conversation goes on, the Bible says that this lame man asked for some pocket change. It's important to note that he wasn't asking for healing. He didn't, now look, he lived in Jerusalem. He has been privy to everything that has happened in Jerusalem up to that time. He could not have missed. I don't care where you were living in Jerusalem. You could not have missed what has taken place in Jerusalem in the last few days. People have been converted. People have been healed. People are joyous. People are giving stuff away. Yet when they got to this man, who obviously didn't know who Peter and John were, he asked of them the same thing he asked of everybody else. I just want a little pocket change. Buy me a meal. And lo and behold, Peter said to that young man, "We don't have any money. We don't have any silver and gold to, to give you. But what we but we do have something. I'm so glad that." The rich man wasn't given a, I mean, this lame man wasn't given a choice. Now look, most people in the, in the New Testament who were healed were healed by Jesus and the apostles after they asked to be healed. There are very few times in the scriptures where the Lord just healed somebody who didn't ask to be healed. Most of the times you'll realize that somebody either came to the Lord the, the lepers cried out to the Lord, Son of David, help us. Have mercy on us. But we certainly know that didn't happen when he raised Lazarus. Lazarus couldn't ask for no help. And Mary and Martha didn't believe that Jesus could do anything about it because they said to Jesus, Jesus, you got here too late. Lazarus already dead. He's stinking in his grave by now. He's been dead for four days. What can you do? They didn't ask the Lord to heal him. They were busy complaining. How come you didn't get here sooner? If you had gotten here before he died, you could have done something. And Jesus said, oh, I'm not late. But he showed up late because of the will of God operating because Jesus prayed before he raised Lazarus and said Lord through all of this may your name your name be glorified so everything God does in the scheme of things is designed so that the glory will come back to him and not us okay and that's what's happening in Acts chapter 3 they saw this man Knowing they could do something to heal him didn't give him a choice. What they did, they could have said, we don't have any money and we can't help you. But what they said was, we don't have any money, but we do have something. And the Bible says before they healed him, they told him, look up at us, which suggests that he wasn't looking at them. He was just asking arms, maybe with his head down, just, hey, my sign is there. You know what to do. (laughs) But Peter said to him, look at me. Look at us. And the Bible says, and when he looked at them, oh, there's something in a look. He looked at them. And they said to him, we don't have any shivering gold, but we're going to give you what we have. In the name of Jesus. Peter didn't say, because I have the power to do it. He didn't say, because you've been laying here too long, I'm going to do something good for you. He said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, take your bed up and walk. And the Bible says after he did that, He went about rejoicing, clinging on to Peter and John because he was so happy at what they had done. All the people were looking in amazement because they knew this man had been laying there for 40 years. And all of a sudden, here he is up and leaping and jumping and walking. The Bible says, giving God praise. Not Peter. He was clinging to them. But the Bible says he wasn't praising Peter and John. He's praising God. So the lesson today is designed to help us to understand and it's especially directed to those who don't think they have anything to offer in the service of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I I want you to understand this. The body of Christ Is a heavenly organization. Can you understand that? It's got fleshly folk in it. But the design of the church is heavenly. Because the Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 18 in particular that the Lord has placed each of us in the body as He pleases. Say that again. You didn't find your way here. You didn't discover the Lord one day all of a sudden as you were walking. The Lord says, every one of you who's in the body, I place there as I please. Which means, you ain't got nothing to say. You know, when Mama said, I do like I want to do. You understand that. Well, God says it's like this. I do this and that because it is for my good pleasure. I set things out like I want them to be and as it pleases me. So I say to you again, everybody who's a member of the body at Roosevelt City was placed here by God. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to look at each other and say, I don't think he should have placed you. That's not your business. God has placed us here because he wants us here. He said, as it pleases him. I do what I want to do. Not at your discretion. Some of us may have problems with each other, but really you don't have a problem with the person. You have a problem with who God has placed here you have a problem with God's decision. So you can dislike me or you can dislike your brother or sister for whatever the reason, but you need to understand that that's translating to your disrespect for God. He put every one of us here and every one of us who's a member has a right to be here. But not only that, in placing us here He's given each one of us a gift. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says the Lord dispenses gifts differently as we come into the body. Some he gives one gift, some he gives three, some he may give five. He gives us different kinds of gifts that are designed for the church to work effectively. I want you this morning not to focus so much on the man who was healed as the ones who were more insignificant in many people's minds, and that's the ones who brought him. See, if you line us up with this account, it would suggest to us that we have many people in the body who don't have any clue of where their place is in the body. They just come, but they haven't found a place yet where they can thrive. And the only way you can do that is to understand that whatever it is that you do very well, God gave you that gift. You didn't learn it in school. You may have supplemented it in school. But God has given you the gift that he wants you to have. And that gift is just as important as anybody else's gift because there is no respecter of persons in the body. This man went out his way rejoicing, and what was the result of that? The Bible says all these folk who were in the temple now started paying attention to this man healed. Peter and John are involved, and here's Peter and John just standing there waiting for him to congregate. This brought everybody. You know, people will congregate when things like that are going on. They congregated, and when they did, Peter used that as an opportunity to teach them Jesus. He didn't say, look at us, look at what we've done. He used it as an opportunity to point them to the Lord. Every gift we have is an opportunity for us to point folk to the Lord, that they may see our good works and glorify the Father who's in heaven. Now, let me just, let me just uh, summarize that, and, 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 and the message will be yours. It's amazing when you think about it that Jesus, Jesus didn't ask the disciples if they wanted the Holy Spirit. He didn't sit down and describe to them what the Holy Spirit is and say, now, what you, what you want to do? You want it or you want something else? The Bible says in Acts chapter 1, he told them to wait into Jerusalem until I send the power there for you. I'm, I'm not asking you if you want it. I'm telling you, I'm going to give it to you. Whether you want it or not. I'm so glad that he didn't ask. Look, I wonder what what would have happened if they had given the the lame man a choice. If they had said, we have some silver and gold, but we also have the ability to heal you, which one do you want? With all of the gifts that you know about that the Lord gives, which one do you want? If I were living back in that time, I think I probably would have wanted the ability to heal. That sounds something else, doesn't it? The ability to say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And see them get up and walk. It'd be hard not to say, man, I'm something else. Woohoo! You know, you walk in, the folk glad to see you. They don't want you to leave. Some are saying, just heal me. I'll give you anything you want. Just hear me. I I think I'd have liked that. I don't know what you would have chosen. But in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, they had this kind of thing going on. Where people were concerned about the different spiritual gifts that were being given to folk. And some didn't want to prophesy. Some said, I'd rather speak in tongues. This is in Corinth. Lord, if you're going to give me anything, give me the ability to speak in tongues. I like the way that looks. I like the way it sounds. I like the way folk look at me when I do it. And Paul said to them, you're seeking the wrong thing. He said, a person who speaks in tongues speaks to himself and God. He brings attention to himself. But the person who prophesies brings attention to God, he said, seek that you may prophesy. What, what, what gift are you seeking? Did you get what you wanted? Because God didn't ask you what you wanted, did he? you were born with it in the body. He gives us the gift he wants us to have. And since he is no respecter of persons, He gives everybody in the body a gift to be used in service to him. Primarily not to work in the world. But we turn that thing around. We'll use our gift to work on our jobs and won't use it at the church. Some folks say, well, I I just don't know what kind of gift I have. If I could preach like Paul or if I could write like Peter and if I had some money to give to the poor, I could see myself being useful to the body. But I don't have any of that, so I don't have anything to use in the upbuilding of the kingdom of God. Surely you do. No one here can claim today that you don't have some gift From God, because God says, I gave it to you according as I please. And if we can get this point across to the church, folk, that we have a gift that must be used in service to God and to his glory and honor, not ours, we'll be a much stronger congregation if we can just buy into that god has given me something and i need to be using it some people have have not even focused on that and they've been in the church all their lives i don't understand that. how you've been in the church all your life and don't have a clue as to what your gift is you may not be able to leap tall buildings in a single bound <laughs> and you may not have any money but you got something. Peter said, we ain't got no silver and gold, but we got something. What we want to do today is identify our something and how it must be used in the upbuilding of the kingdom of God. Some say, I I can't put my hand on that. I ain't ain't got nothing. You know, sometimes we are looking in the wrong places. Sometimes we don't want the gift we got. It's a gift. And we realize there's something special about us in that way, but we, we we don't recognize that as a gift. Let me give you a little test. Can you cook? You may not have a whole lot of money. But if you can cook, you can be of service in the kingdom. Fix somebody a meal. And you won't have to come and get nobody's permission to do that. If that's your talent, is what, if what you love is ministering to other people, if you really care about the poor and the homeless, then your talent ought to be front and center. Because I can cook, and I can provide some meals for somebody. Can you, can you, can you drive? As I was looking over those, questionnaire, the results, the responses from the questionnaire, there were many people who put on there that I don't come to Bible studies and I don't come to worship sometime because I don't have any transportation. Well, we have a van here, you know what I'm saying, and we have 30 or 40 other people here who drive. Can you, do you drive? Are you compassionate enough to care about somebody else getting to the service more than you are concerned about your gas and your time? Because, see, we ought to be ashamed, church, if we have folk who are not coming here because they have no way to get here. When they make it known to us that's what the problem is, somebody here. Needs to be saying, Oh, I'd love to work in that ministry. But see, when you start talking like that, that, that people do the same thing you are doing. They get real quiet. <laughs> and then we start going to those scenarios. I ain't going by picking nobody up, and then on the way home, they want me to drop them by the pharmacy and the stove and all that. Well, you know what? You can get that handled. Hey, we're starting out with getting you from point A to point B. Forget about the rest of them. But you can do your part. You can run the first leg. If somebody tells you they need a ride and the only thing that you are concerned about is well that's gonna mean I got to get up an hour earlier. Shoot, something wrong with you. The Spirit is not operating in you. Because the Spirit will say, do it so that others may see your good work and God can be glorified. Amen. If we can't get there, we're spinning our wheels. And we're going to have to get there with whatever that talent is. Can, can you write? Can you write? Folks in at home, well, you know I'm going to get out like I used to. Can you still write? Send somebody a word of encouragement. Drop a note in the mail. You don't have to go out and get no card. You know, I look at these cards today. These cards, eight and nine and $10. Lord have mercy. That'll make you sit down and come up with some encouraging words of your own. You don't have to send them in a card. Write it on a piece of paper. It's not the paper that's important. It's the message. I'm just trying to get us to understand this morning that so many of us probably look over our God-given gift because it's not what somebody else got. Well, I really would have wanted to do this. God didn't ask you what you wanted to do. He gave you a gift based on what pleases him. And when you realize that, then you'll stop doing things. You know, how often is it that we... I, I'm right where I need to be. How often is it that we start a good work and then we stop it because everybody else ain't doing it? Everybody else doesn't have the same gift you have. They're doing their thing in another area. They may not have the same gift you have. We all don't have the same gift. But I, I wonder this. If that is the way you are, then the question becomes who are you doing it for? Who are you doing it for? Are you doing it for yourself or the people or God? And the first two answers are wrong. Your gift is from God. Don't turn your gift in. Lord have mercy. Because it's not the one you want. Well, I can do this well, but I don't like doing it. I'm just going to turn mine back in. I I ain't get the one I want, so that's what the person who was given one talent did. He only gave me one. I'm going to bury this. But you know the the danger in that is once you find something you can really do and do well, and especially if you're losing, uh, if you're only using it out there, the Lord will take that away from you. If you're not using your gift in the upbuilding of the kingdom, it's not beyond the Lord to take that away from you. Now, if he takes that gift away from you, then what does that affect? Your job! Some of you were very happy about your job when you started, but years later, now what? I'm so tired of doing this, I don't know what to do. But you know, something that is your gift that you love doing, you don't get away from that. You don't get away from that. I don't care what the situation is. If you love to sing and God has given you a gift, you're going to sing. If you're going to pray, you're going to pray. If you're going to encourage, you're going to encourage. I'm just asking you this morning to identify, take a minute and ask yourself, what is my talent and how am I using it in the body of uh, of the church? We're stuck like this man. Sometimes we're stuck on one solution to our problems, and that's finances. Everybody think they need money to get anything done. You need money to get a lot of things done, but that, ma- that doesn't make for peace. Okay? Let's look beyond having to have money to do good. Money is the quick way out. That's what you do when you don't want to be bothered with folks. Really, you know, look, I'm going to pay you $10 to get out of my face. It takes time to sit down and help folk. You know, we have a lot of folk coming to ask. It's amazing to me that when people come to ask for financial help, that's all they ask for. They don't say, by the way, would you pray that the Lord will change my situation? All they want is they don't even look at you. And we are living beneath our privilege when we don't let those folks know that the only way to get you from stopping, coming here and relying on people you don't know to take care of you in the name of Jesus is that you learn how to handle your own affairs wisely. Right. But see, we don't want to take the time to do that. We going to tell you what, we're going to give you a check and pay some of your bills for you. But you need to come and talk to us about your situation. How did you get here? And what have you changed to make sure you're not back here next month? We say, well, let's just give him the money. That's the best way to get him to leave us alone. But, folks, that's not a biblical solution. This man wanted money, but he needed healing. Oh! if they would take our check and say, pray for me that the Lord will heal my my bad decision making. Mm. So, I end today by saying this to you. When, When those who have a particular gift won't use it, but it's desperately needed in the church, we tend to substitute someone who will do it but it's not their talent hello that's what we tend to do we got somebody who's good at something and they say i ain't got time to do it. we'll put somebody who can't do it except at a C level and say we're gonna do it we're gonna let you do it just to get by and that's the way it comes across in worship you're doing it just to get by this is not the best we have to offer because the person who has the best we have to offer is not willing so now we got to substitute him with somebody who's less qualified and that hurts the body. People say, you sound like you're like you worshiping, but I don't know it doesn't feel like you're worshiping. Because we do things routinely. Just routine, you know what I'm saying? Where's the spirit of worship? That's how you can tell people are doing something genuinely. You can look in their eyes and tell. You can look at their body language and tell that they really want to be doing this as opposed to somebody who can't wait for it to be over so they can sit down. (laughs) This ain't my job. I'm just filling in for somebody. Well, we need to stop filling in and approach those people who have been given the gift to do what they do. Ah, we're on a search and rescue mission here. And we need all hands on deck. You willing to be there? Help! (laughs) I'm sounding the alarm. Help Roosevelt City. Come over to Roosevelt City and help us to be all that we can be by exercising our individual gifts. If you're here today and you want to be a part of this, you've heard the word, believe it. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. It was to the Jew first, but now it's open to everybody. There is no bond or free. There is no rich or poor. There's no big eyes and little youth. We are all of equal value in the sight of God. And to that end, he's given every one of us a gift. Don't you dare sit here and say, God hasn't given you a gift. Yes, he has. And you need to be about the business of using it right here. We're going to ask you to. We're going to give you an opportunity next week to show what you put on those responses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we want all of you to come because immediately after service, we're going to have a, a, a sit-down for about 15, 20 minutes just to identify who put what and, and who you need to see to get you started. If, you, if you're a member of the body, please pray for us as a congregation because we're just trying to make sure that this body is here 50 and 60 years after those of us who are here are gone. And that's part of our responsibility. Thank God for your patience this morning. If you're not a member of the body of Christ, you do that by being repentant of your past life and yielding to the watery grave of baptism. Baptism is a death, a burial, and a resurrection. And at the end of that, the Bible says the Lord adds to the church those who are being saved. Acts 2.47, uh, and then that second chapter of Acts. We thank you so much for being patient. Let us stand and give you the opportunity to respond.